Hello and welcome to the Guernsey Press Sport Podcast, rounding up the best of Bailiwick Sport every Thursday. I'm Tony Kerr and alongside me this week, as ever, is the Guernsey Press Sport Editor, Gareth Prevo. Hi, Tony. And future heavyweight champion of the world, <laughs> Jamie Ingrell. Hi, Tony. <laughs> Great to see you. We'll explain that uh, reference in a minute. Um, we're a bit late actually coming in to record this because we've just been watching England absolutely demolish India um, in the T20 World Cup semi-final. An extraordinary win at 10 wickets, Joss Butler and a player of the match performance from Alex Hales guiding them home. Um, so that delayed us slightly, but it also sparked a memory for you, uh, Gareth, which had you sort of flicking back through the archives. Well, yeah, I do remember Alex Hales coming over with um, knots to to play a T20 sort of, it's like a charity game, I suppose, against Guernsey. I was just trying to find it and I, I did manage to come across it. And I, I just remember he got given out LBWI sweeping and sort of most of the, most of the crowd was sort of like, why have they given that out when we all want to watch Alex Hale's bat? And, he was, <laughs> and it's only looking back, I'd, I'd forgotten it was G.H. Smith who got him out. So another burgled wicket for uh, G.H. <laughs> um, and f- one thing I, I didn't even recall at all was my brother actually scored 88 in that game and Alex Hale's got him out. So um, I suppose it, it came good for him on that day, not quite as it did today when he was absolutely brilliant at the Adelaide Oval. Are we going to name the culprit, the uh, umpiring culprit? No, I won't mention Andy Bissell. <laughs> um, well, yeah, pretty awesome. I mean, from uh, from yeah the, the heady heights of, uh, of of getting dismissed by GH um, to uh, yeah an absolutely blistering World Cup semi-final performance a few years later. I know a lot of people have got out to GH and but we're still sort of a bit flummoxed as to how, because he's not the best bowler in the world, but uh, he, he can probably hit the ball about as hard as Alex Hales can. So, um, yeah, it's uh, it's great to see England reach that World Cup and World Cup final, and hopefully Alex can do it again on Sunday morning. Yep, looking forward to that. Um, right, anyway, coming up on the pod this week, we've got an interview with the head of P and Games at Elizabeth College, Tom Eisenhuth. Um, a, a really interesting chat with him about his sporting background, his coaching and teaching philosophy when it comes to sport. Really interesting guy, Tom. And we've also got a chat with another Aussie rugby legend um, from a different code, um, David Campesi, who's been in the island. Um, one of a, a bit of a sort of cavalcade of international rugby stars who are making appearances here. More on that to come, but let's start with our moments of the week. Um, Jamie? <laughs> um, for me, it is unquestionably meeting the juggernaut, Joe Joyce, a six foot six heavyweight. Yeah, just meeting a titan of a professional boxing world. He's currently <laughs> in his professional career. He's currently fifteen wins from fifteen wins from fifteen. All but one of them have been by knockout. He's also an Olympic silver medalist, um, and it's obviously just amazing to have him visiting the local boxing club, giving back to aspiring locals. And yeah, there's a real buzz about it. Um, he got just the kind of reception he want, and it's just amazing to see someone of that stature just paying a humble visit to Guernsey, treating the young local boxers as levels pretty much. But yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely fantastic. And um, yeah, someone very much in their prime for sure. I mean, he's getting a lot of um, a big chat, I think, with from Tyson Fury. Uh, you, you know, we might see a fight um, between those two at some point. Well, you never know. Tyson Fury seems to be in and out of retirement like nobody's <laughs> business. But um, certainly Joe Joyce's last win against Joseph Parker, who's a former heavyweight champion, actually he knocked him out, didn't he? Which is um, almost unheard of. So um, he's he's certainly um, got potential of maybe being a world champion himself. Yeah, I bet the, the youngsters and the older boxers absolutely loved having him up there on Friday night. And, uh, yeah, cracking photo of the two of you, Jamie. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, mean, I, I think you might need a few more weeks in the gym. <laughs> 
Quite possibly, yeah. I did enjoy someone's comment though saying, can he do a 16 minute 5k? <laughs> <laughs> Which I don't know, he might, I'm sure he does get around uh, reasonably well, but, um, but yeah, I think. I'd, I'd, I'd back Jamie on that one. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> I'd love to see that. Three rounds between the two of you down at the Amalgamated Club and then, uh, yeah, then the, the Stone Crusher course on a Sunday too. Maybe the other way around. <laughs> Give Jamie a fighting chance in the ring. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> Uh, speaking of your, your cross-country exploits, Jamie, it was the return of the, uh, the winter cross-country series at the weekend on a new course. How did you get on? Um, I'd say my run was solid. Uh, nothing really much to say about it. But um, yeah, um, brand new course called the Doyle Loop. I've, it's quite nice to see like the organisers mix it up, offer something different. And it's very well received, obviously, having a record turnout of nearly 190 people on the start line. That's impressive, isn't it? Because, yeah, these events have grown in recent years. But to, to continue that pace and continue attracting more people in is, um, is fantastic. Who led the field home? Yeah, so um, we had Thierry Le Cheminon, who I think in the absence of his senior big guns, you have to sort of favour him. He's a 17-year-old triathlete, but he's sort of at the top of his game, one of Guernsey's best in all three disciplines, really. So that's quite impressive. And yeah, I'm sure he'll be able to give the like, senior top dogs a good run for a money when it comes to the actual win they go head-to-head. Women's side was an interesting one. Uh, we had Nat Whitty against Sarah Rowe, we now call her. Was Sarah Mercier? She's married Island. She's married Commonwealth Games cyclist James Rowe, but they're kind of both unknown quantities to a certain extent. But in the end, I think uh, Nat was quite dominant. She just got stuck in, led pretty much the whole race. Three more races to come in that series. So uh, yeah, all the best to everyone taking part there. Um, Gareth, what was your moment of the week? Um, I just want to give a shout out to young Adam Delamere for one of the best hockey goals I've pretty much ever seen in the domestic league. It's it's very rare in hockey that you sort of get a, a lobbed goal. Usually it's sort of power or a bit of um, just sometimes a bit of luck as well. But um, it was uh, casuals beating Indies 4-1. It was a very good result for casuals and they played really well. Um, but it was their sort of college boys that created this goal with uh, Cam Rivers-Moore uh, th- throwing an aerial ball forward. And um, yeah, Adam Delamere ran onto it on on the bounce and just uh, lifted it over Rob Turville, who was in goal for Indies. And it was just it was just a fantastic finish. It was one of those that sort of nine times out of ten it wouldn't come off. Um, I've, I think I've seen Sam Dawes do something very similar once, but it is very unusual to see a lob goal like that in in hockey. And he just took it absolutely superbly. And as it turned out, he then scored another in the second half uh, with a drive which would have almost burst the net. He hit it so well. But it was, it was great to see um, the kids uh, having a having an influence in such a big game. Yeah, cool. Things cooking along nicely in those title races. Yeah, um, Yobbo's actually had to score a last-minute equaliser against Colombians. Um, they'd, it was the second time in a week they'd played each other. And um, Colombians had lost 6-1 the previous week, but they were without Sam Dawes that, that occasion. And that's a big loss for them. They've got a, they got a strong spine when he's playing. And um, yeah, Colombians were were a much more determined outfit this time round, and twice led against the champions. Um, and yeah, like I say, they needed a, a last minute short corner routine slotted home by Matt Stokes to to get a to get a draw. Whereas um, in the women's division, the champions are still going strong. Um, Panthers came through three one against Indies ladies, having also gone a goal behind. But um, yeah, Panthers are looking strong in the women's division, and and Yobbo's. Um, they're still unbeaten and 
I think it, the problem is every other side seems to be beating each other. It's, it's pretty competitive, but Yobos tend not to lose. So um, I, I get the feeling if you were sort of a, a betting man right now, I'd put my money on Yobos to retain the title. Yeah, well, fair way to go. And uh, we'll be uh, following it all the way uh, here at Guernsey Press Sport. Uh, right, I think that's just about it for part one. Um, coming next, we'll hear from Tom Eisenheath. Welcome back. Uh, if you're not already, do hit follow or subscribe um, wherever you get your podcast to get every one of these um, delivered straight to you. Um, right, our guest this week is Tom Eisenhuth, who's the head of PE and games at Elizabeth College. Um, someone who's been in that role um, for a little while now and someone who I've wanted to get in um, for a chat on the pod and a, and a good sit down because he's um, got a really interesting story and a really... Um, I think positive and interesting kind of outlook on um, the job he does and 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 the way kind of sport can fit into to people's lives, particularly young people's lives. Um, I think it's fair to say he's had a really big impact since coming to the island. A native of Sydney, sort of dabbled in professional sport as a, as a late teen, but um, um, eventually found his way into teaching. Um, and he's uh, yeah played a, a big part in kind of shaping the. Well, expanding and shaping the curriculum and the, the sporting offering at Elizabeth College, which I think has been really well received. Anyway, he's a very busy guy. He's um, always uh, out and about helping out up at the college field, down at um, the MF and Foots Lane, and, um, and just sort of generally, I suppose, making um, college sport what it is. So as I say, I caught up with him um, during uh, a bit of a quieter moment in the half-term break. Tom, welcome to the pod. Hey, thank you for having me. It's wonderful to be here. Awesome to see you. Um, we're recording this in half term week. Um, do you get a few days off or is it still full on? Yeah, no, no, it's been a good week. Um, there's little things to get ready for the next term and then you're already, you know, planning for the summer term and then you're looking again for the next September thing. So yeah, it's 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 always it's always nice to have some downtime. So it's good. Sport never stops. No, it doesn't. Um, I want to ask you about college sport and your kind of I suppose your vision, your ethos, uh, if you like, and the, the kind of ideas that you've tried to, to bring to that setup since you came in. Um, but I, I suppose let's start with you and your background. Um, what are your first memories of sport back in Australia? Uh, sitting up watching the 89 Ashes uh, and just desperate for Steve Waugh to do well. Um, that that was pretty much the, the start. My whole family is all rugby league, so I grew up, you know, in about as as hardcore rugby league fan as you can get from Sydney. Um, but yeah, it was cricket. It was always, I don't know why it was cricket, but it was just cricket. I think that it was, you know, dad would sit down and watch cricket and relax after going from work and it just rubbed off. So, so yeah, so that was probably my first one. Um, my first big one anyway. Uh, and then rugby league grand finals when Canterbury made the final and things like that. So yeah, that was that was my sporting sort of uh first experience yeah and I think Australia's sporting culture is almost like the envy of the world you know it's so strong Any, anyone who's into sport um, can find something good to chat about with an Australian um, sports enthusiast um, but sort of beyond just kind of watching talk us through your kind of early days of, of sort of participating in sport I didn't really start playing properly until I was probably 14 um it was quite late um there was four of us so my mum had to run like getting us to different places and dad was at work all the time um you know it was very difficult for her and we we're all pretty close together so between myself and my younger sister there's only about five years so six years so it's pretty close so um yeah so I didn't really start playing organized sports till I was you know 14 and it was rugby league um I played cricket sorry um 
but cricket wasn't it was just something that you did like cricket was cricket it was it's everything you play cricket in the back garden you play cricket everywhere so you know as far as you know properly organized like competitions it was you know rugby league was the first one but cricket um for bankstown where i grew up um you know that was every weekend and you know that was that was you know this is the best part of the week was saturday morning waking up and going down and playing cricket so yeah amazing and in terms of rugby league as well that was something that you kind of took to you as well yeah yeah um well it's 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 just such a big part of uh where we're from um and from just it's a bit like football um you you just got to grow into it you don't really have a choice it's just so in your face um i I always think of it like cricket so you'd go out and you if you've seen an australian cricketer out it was a big thing because there was so few of them and it was such a big game and it just was in a different pantheon of of sporting experience but you got more uh, you had more contact with rugby league because it was in your community. So Canterbury, where we grew up, was Canterbury Bankstown Bulldogs. So you would see the players pretty regularly. Um, and my dad and all my dad's brothers played for another big club, uh, Western Suburbs. So it was just something that you were always around and a part of. And um, yeah, it was it was good. So you just you just grew into it. Um, I was a bit unique, as in there wasn't anyone in my family that played cricket. I was the only one that really played cricket. Um, but I got to rugby league when I was 14 and the cricket ended pretty two years after that. So yeah. And you took your rugby league pretty seriously for a while. Yeah. Um, yeah, I did. Okay. Um, you know, it's one of those things where you, you're, uh, probably one injury away from, you know, playing what was the equivalent of the, the, the premier league in, in rugby league terms. Um, and you know, and it was unfortunate that you were the person getting injured all the time. So it was, you know, it was, it was great. I, I enjoyed the game, you know, it was, you know, it, you you when when it's all over and all the contracts are finished and everything's done, you do mourn for a, for a few years because all your friends are still playing, and I've got friends that played for Australia and all, all sorts of stuff. So it's uh you know you're that person over there in the corner, and it's a bit different than when you were sitting in the circle. So it's it took a little while to get over, um, but yeah, I was always lucky. I had you know pretty good PE teachers that encouraged me to concentrate a little bit and <laughs> it worked all right you didn't put all your eggs in that one basket uh, i did but i was just had um had some you know some good people again you know i think our two p teachers particularly one was far more you know just go for it and you know really supportive in that way and the other one was a bit more circumspect and said you know you, you really have to think about what's going to happen you know if it doesn't if it doesn't work out so you know and so that you always had that nice balance um, and the mum and dad did everything they could to to try and make it a reality. Um, so it was it was a it was great. It was a great experience. Um, you know, hard. <laughs> no, um, no, no, no letting up there. And it's a different world. You you wake up one day, and it's fun, and you're playing with your mates, and you know it's great. And then the next day, it's no longer just your mates, and it becomes a, a job. Or you know, and the expectation goes up, and you know, there's no, you can't hide. There's no, they're just two different worlds. There's nothing you can't compare um, professional sport with, you know, recreational sport. There's just, you know, there is just there is nothing. They're nothing alike. They're two completely different experiences. So. And I mentioned about your kind of, I suppose, ethos and the, the, the sort of um, the sporting culture that you you've sort of brought to college how, how much we'll, we'll come to it in a minute but I mean how much does your current outlook on sport and the role it can play with young people in particular how much is that influenced by that little taste of professional sport that you had yeah it's um oh I think uh 
I think it, t- it takes a while for you to, to uh, so there's a, there's a really good academic paper on, it's called the learned apprenticeship. So you pretty much copy the people that had the biggest influence over you. So uh, I had some coaches and I thought that that's how you were a PE teacher. So it was very direct and very authoritarian because that's just what rugby league was. And it took seven years of me just being particularly, um, you know, single, so just focusing on the wrong aspects of the whole experience. Um, and then, you know, after a while you, you, you grow and you mature and you, and you spend a little bit of time reflecting on what you're doing and how you're doing it. And then, yeah, you know, like I come back to, it's almost like I think about my brother, um, who, you know, he did a nine hours and I don't know, 21 minute Ironman, you know, he's 30 seconds off qualifying for the worlds and that was running a full-time job and doing everything else. So, and he, he didn't enjoy PE at all. He hated, he hated every PE teacher ever he had, uh, just purely because you know that there was he he just didn't do the sport that they thought was the right sport and you know he had his own little you know mind and uh he you know was brilliant at that individual stuff but there just wasn't that outlet for him at school so I always think that you know if if you know there was somebody that was there to think of you know not just those you know it was rugby league it was cricket it was soccer or football basketball and volleyball and that was it they were the the main sports and after that you know, it was whatever, you know, you did it for fun. There was no such thing as real competitive behind it. So, you know, if he had somebody just to help him a little bit along, I think, you know, he would have, he would have enjoyed it a bit more, his experience at PE. So, yeah, that drives it. Because I think you've been instrumental at college in broadening the sporting offering and, uh, you know, introducing new sports um, that, that wouldn't have been, you know, on the programme um, a few years ago or at all, or, you know. Um, was that like a real priority for you when you started in the role? I think uh, it was almost like a bit of a throwback. Like if you if you look at how David had taken it on from the people for David Ray, taken on from the people for him, and there was always a really broad offer. It was just that, um, it, you know, as time goes by and as, you know, traveling becomes more difficult. And, you know, I listened to David talk about the tennis tours that they'd go away and they had some fantastic tennis players at college and they're still heavily involved in tennis on the island. So there was always, there was always you know, those opportunities. It was probably... It, probably not so much the competitive aspect of it, but more appreciating that there's two aspects to support. There's sport, there's the competitive element, and then there's the recreational element. And it's about, you know, trying to line up a program where you can be 14 and get to it and be in love with the game of tennis. And then, you know, by the time you're 16, you don't quite, you know, it's not something that you want to do competitively, but you can still carry on and play. So it's about trying to find a balance between the two so that, you know, everybody gets an opportunity to pick something. The the extra sports or the extra activities that have come on, um, you know, Steve Sharman is as instrumental of that as anyone, you know, the way he's gone about creating those relationships with the different clubs and the different organizations is, you know, uh, you know fantastic. And, uh, you know, you, you're trying to, the, the most important thing is to, to marry your program up with what's going on in the community. Because if it's not part and parcel of what's happening in Guernsey's community, then it, it doesn't, it, it won't go anywhere. It'll just sort of sit and it'll be nice and it'll be fun and it'll be friendly, but you're not really going to get any, you know, you're not going to get any long-term buy-in because just you need to have the community you need to have that engagement with you know what happens after 4 30 um for it to be sustainable uh, so yeah so i think it's a history of um you know from robin roussel mike kinder you know david you know there's just a huge number of people that have created the sports program it's you know you just feel as if you've got to maintain 
and you know just do them justice as opposed to anything else so i mean i've probably skipped a step um you know with you coming to guernsey i mean how did that move come about what, what was it like uh, arriving here for the first time uh it was it, it was it was <laughs> my daughter was four uh she was uh born profoundly deaf so we were lucky we were home um and uh back in sydney and home and then uh she was she was born and we found out within about two weeks uh, you, before they leave hospital, they do a sweep test. Uh, and then uh, they invented the cochlear implant in, in Sydney. So where she was born was where they did the first implant and it was, we were heartbroken and didn't know what to think of it. And then uh, they just talked to us as if, well, you, what are you worried about? You know, this is going to be fine. She's, she'll get the implant and she'll, she'll carry on. So, you know, that, that was it. Um, she got the implant. Uh, we came back to London um, because we had a home there and uh, we, we we're going to just stay and then a job came up in Guernsey for Becky and Sophia was looking for a school and just coincidentally it all sort of fell into place from that perspective so I spent first eight months with the sports commission um, and then I had various roles in between that um, working for the college part-time and then uh, spinning the wheel on net play tv at night so it was yeah <laughs> it's quite a varied start <laughs> it was to life varied. in Guernsey yeah. had you done much teaching before yeah yeah so I was always involved so the partnership I so when I left uh Sydney um it was pretty much a working holiday um and then I my contracts had all finished and you know you just wanted to get away from everything for a little while and then you know this everyone comes to London so I thought I'll just go to London like everybody else does um my mum said I'd never go so I went and bought the ticket just to Spider, <laughs> and then uh, and that was it. I've I've been back back home for holidays and to see family. Uh, we were back home for when Sophia was born. But yeah, so in London it was uh, PE teaching, and we, we ran a sports partnership. So the government in the UK had a huge uh, investment. Um, it was John Major's original. Um, policy and then the Labour government took it over and enacted it so the school sports partnership so we looked after I was the partnership development manager for about 72 schools in 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 London and you know we're talking about Brixton and Bermondsey and um, Southwark and Peckham and you know it was a unbelievably you know deprived areas and you got to Guernsey and it was a bit like there aren't really any barriers to participation in comparison to what you were experiencing in London. You know, this is just a, I think I think I said to Jeremy Friff, it's a bit like the um, uh, sporting biodome, you know, you, you can't really escape, you know, you can, you, you know, you can make it as enjoyable as uh, unenjoyable as you wanted over here and they can't do anything about it. <laughs> so it, you, it's about trying to, you know, make the most of everything that's here. The facilities are phenomenal and, you know, so it was just, Guernsey was just one of those things that just happened it wasn't particularly planned um yeah but it's been good we sort of like to think of ourselves as a real sporting island and in a lot of ways I think it's, it's definitely true I mean did it did it strike you kind of quite soon after arriving I think I said to my father if I'd moved here when I was 25 you you, you would have played every single sport because there was not a night when I first came over there where there was, wasn't something you could play like playing evening league cricket you could have played four nights a week if you wanted to when I first got over it was you know one of those things where you you come from London and you know you're capable of getting around but and there's lots going on around you but it's you know it's not it's nowhere near as easy like if I was going to go and play a game of five-a-side football it's not like just running around the corner here 15 minutes away it's a you know it's a 20-minute drive to go four miles you know it's a it's a big commitment and and that sort of restricts your 
your freedom of movement and the opportunities that you take on. Um, whereas here, like I remember playing in London, it was an hour and a half drive to training, you know, and, and it, you would do it every time because it was, you enjoyed the experience there. But um, yeah, it was here. You could have just gone anywhere and played anything and at any time it's it's pretty good i still find a way to be about 10 minutes late for, yeah. for every kickoff but <laughs> <laughs> um, i don't know if that's just me um yeah and then sort of coming into the college environment then obviously probably a stark contrast to as you say what you've been doing and the, the kind of young people you've been working with in london um how did you adapt to that different environment it was a bit like going back to the school I, I'd, I'd attended when I was a kid. So there were so many familiar, there's so many things familiar about it that make, and I think will make it a wonderful school. Uh, the fact that there's a real sense of history and there's a sense of, you know, purpose and there's a, you know, you, you're, you've got an opportunity to, as, as one of the previous um, vice principals said or assistant principals said, you, you start at one end of the corridor at college and you can walk straight through or you can open all the doors along the way and you can have a look in and, and find the thing that, 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 that you're passionate about. And I thought that sort of stuck with me, um, that phrase and that, that analogy of, you know, what college has to offer. So I remember uh, the, the, my uncles uh, were, went to school with some of the teachers that I had, some of the teachers taught my uncles. My grandmother knew if I was in trouble before my mum did. Um, you know, it's that really nice community feel to it. Uh, and, and, you know, you want to, as a teacher, be make sure everyone feels that way and feels a part of that community as opposed to, I'm the teacher, you know, you're the parents, then there's this dividing line. I always felt that that never really, never really got that feel with college. It was, you know, how can I help? What can I do? Um, that sort of approach. So it's great. How have you tried to evolve it in the time that you've been in in post? Um, we talked about obviously sort of maybe broadening the offering, the sporting offering, but is there a different approach as well to to how you kind of balance, I suppose, yeah, trying to get the best out of the kids in terms of their in sporting potential, but also allowing them to get the best or allowing everyone to get the best out of sport? Yeah, so I, I think the key is that everyone gets an opportunity and it's not being socialist um, and it's not being anything. I, like there's, I said to once before, there's, if you can find me an article or any sort of paper that says that an 11-year-old being in the A-team is the most important thing for their future professional career, then I'm all for it. You know, I'll, I'll read it and we'll adopt it, but there just isn't. It's just not out there. So good at 11 doesn't make good at 17. And, you know, I think that the longer we can have them involved in sport, the better it is, the more chance they've got to, you know, find something about it they genuinely love or find an experience that, that just, just buys them into it. And once they're, once they're in, it's a completely different world. You know, the, the whole experience in sport, like the more you put in, the more you get back out. So, you know, being broad in the context of everyone gets a chance. So, you know, I'd much prefer, that's why I, you know, the idea of touring, um, it just needs to evolve. You know, the, the, the tours that, 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 that I always talk to people that had the most fondest memories weren't the first team tours. It was, I went away with the second team on this tour. We, we can't do that anymore because there's just, it's too difficult to try and tour and get all the tours in and get all those fixtures in. So it does become quite elitist, that aspect of it. And it's just about trying to, you know, I'd rather bring schools over and give everybody a game and then all of us go away as a sports um, team as opposed to just being cricket, hockey or football, uh, you know, and netball in the future be about Elizabeth College sport and about us as a as a group of students and, and teachers enjoying, you know, being involved in sport and enjoying that whole experience. So I would say it's broad, balanced opportunities uh, and, you know, really encourage the things that, make them that that will help them if they do buy in 
um i said it's a different world elite sport um <laughs> it's it's 99 of the work you do away when no one no one's watching that counts the most uh and you've just got to have them comfortable in that you know the experience is going to be not today but maybe three or four years down the line and if they don't get that immediate satisfaction you know it's okay you know you just got to keep plugging away and keep plugging away but if you turn them off at 11 because you didn't pick them they're not going to ever genuinely get to feel a part of the sport or really appreciate what the sport has to offer them um, for it to grow so and you've had some um, fantastic athletes come through or leave college in the last couple of years and already go on to do um, some brilliant stuff uh, you know in the professional international kind of realm you know people like Ala Chalmers I mean do they stand out early though not just for their ability but their mentality yeah I think uh with Ala it was you know he is who he is he's just Ala he's you know you, you give you an answer in a level p or whatever it is and you try and talk him through it say mate i know what you're trying to say but that's not quite the answer no that's exactly what i said <laughs> you know, he was he was very you know he he's very confident but in a good way like it was you know he, he knew what he was doing he knew where it was going and he was always going to be you know he was always going to achieve if it's just about being at the right place at the right time and those little opportunities and making the most of them and and you know he's he's a he's a wonderful guy do you take as much satisfaction though out of the yeah, the, the the kids that have left college in the last few years who are already kind of participating in club cricket or or whatever. Oh yeah, more so uh, some of them because like our, our involvement with Allah is just being there for him. Um, you know, the guys at the athletics club and he himself they do all the work. We're just you know we're just there to support and be a, a guide where we can. Um, provide time to train, um, provide opportunities for them to go out uh, if they need to, to train and to go to competitions. That's our role. You know, we, we, you know, it's a, it's wrong as a PE teacher to think that you're going to turn them into international athletes. We're not, we're, you know, we're just preparing them for that world and giving them the, you know, the characteristics that will make them successful in that world. We, we, we can't, we're not giving them, but helping them find those characteristics. So Allah, you know, he deserves all the credit for himself and the athletics guys because it was their hard work and it was the the way that they'd gone about it. You know, we just were part of that in a, you know, in a small way. Uh, the, there's other kids that you always have, you know, you feel far greater about because it just, it just meant the world to them to be able to play for the college team or, you know, to just get a game, um, to be with their mates. You know, I always remember... It wasn't necessarily the game of cricket. It was the experience that you had with your friends on the boundary that that meant the most to you, and you'll always remember them far more than some of the the games that you played. So you know, try you, and forget the games you yeah, played. <laughs> yeah. So having though having have, giving them that opportunity, um, you know, to you know to experience your friendship in a very different way. Um, in a you know, sports are a wonderful place for that. So um, you know, it just sort of that's it broad balance there's so many kids that you can look back on and think okay it was nice it was good fun um, and it's it's cricket being cricket you're the last thing that they do when they're in year 13 so you're the last trip they go on and you're the last experience that they have uh, be it at home um, at college field uh, in the end of July or the start of July um, you know so it's you do get some you know some pretty good nights so <laughs> yeah amazing and you mentioned obviously sort of being a PE teacher do you see a distinction between PE and sports I mean it, it, like physical education is the is the is the focus changing in schools in the way the way you see your responsibility to physically educate young people yeah it's like it's that's a very loaded question at the moment it's like it's it's the most conservative of all subjects um so when you look at PE 
as a subject it hasn't really changed for ever in a day you know it's a its original sort of concept is is based on various things from preparing young men to war to now we're battling an, ap- an obesity epidemic you know you're you're just throwing whatever is at the time is important to society it's just off oh, p will fix it well <laughs> we we haven't and we and we've got no real statistics to say that we're making a big impact so you know they come to us at 11 and they you find a seven and eight year old that doesn't want to play a game there's they're very hard to find but you can find a lot of 14 year olds that, that aren't enjoying their game anymore so we're, we're, we're not quite getting something right um in in that first initial experience uh so I, I put some volleyball nets up on Wednesday night and there's there's two boys in there that I just remember doing volleyball with, you know, and introducing them to, you know, some volleyball and seeing them joining a club and being a part of a club. You know, that's that's awesome. You know, that's that's job's done. Um, you're not going to, you know, you're not going to fix every problem. And if you go away from the core values of sport, so is it gym, you know, is it, you know, is it, you know, more... Uh, recreational activities, PE now, I don't know, is it, you know, is it going back and just really pressing hard on those traditional games? Uh, I can't answer that question. All I know is that you've got to, you take it in the context of where you're from. The college has an amazing history, um, you know, in the, the some three main games and, 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 and they're historically referred to as your major games. Uh, those major games are a big part of the whole P and games program still, but we don't refer to them as major games. They're just part and parcel of our games offer, but I'd love to see golf um, be a major game. I'd love to see, you know, squash, some of the squash players we have are fantastic, be a major game. The role PE plays in that, is it introduction? Is it giving them a good experience initially to, you know, encourage them like those two boys to go off and play volleyball in their own time? I don't know. Um, uh, But I think that knowing college and knowing its history and, and, and not wanting to move away from that too much is important. Um, it might be in 10, 15 years time that it's not those sports anymore. It's something completely different, but we've just listened to the students. We've listened to the community. We've listened to, you know, uh, everything that's happening in Guernsey sport and not just isolated ourselves and, and plowed a path that probably might not be there. So, uh, I see things like PE is a, more water-based activity 100% you know why we're not using the sea and um everything that we have around us that's just as much pee as as anything else uh and it has real long-term value uh you know most most drownings occur because of cold water and open water and nothing to do with the pool so you know getting him into the sea and being a part of the sea and everything that's out there is you know with alan and and the people that are there running the the outdoor stuff now it's just as much a part of pee as the rest of it so I don't know. It's a tough question, and there's lots of academics arguing that question as we speak. <laughs> um, and obviously, college has changed, um, or is changing, uh, in so many different ways. You've got all the new um, kind of building development that's gone on, and I guess that's going to have a big impact on, on yeah. you know, what the school is, what it does. Um, I suppose the biggest change of all in recent years has been the admission of girls yep. um, at all age groups, and uh, you know, I suppose at some point it will be sort of 50 50 split kind of throughout the school how much of a challenge and opportunity has that been for you as a you know in the sort of sporting department to i think it's uh it's brilliant i, I genuinely think it's a wonderful addition um in so many ways uh i think that i would be a better person i would have been a better person having had like i said it was an all-boys school in 
you know, Bankstown, um, where everybody knew each other and it was, it was, you just felt comfortable all the time. You never really got challenged, uh, too much, uh, you know, having girls would have just made a big difference. You would have just been a better person. And I think hopefully, um, we can get it right. I think that I went to a conference and there we're into about the 40, 40 years of co-educational P in games. Um, and most of those co-educational or those schools that, have taken on girls were boys schools very similar to elizabeth college that that took girls very rarely is it girls schools taking boys and they've they've made the point in there that you know after all that time we still can't define what co-educational sport is um but there was lots of good lessons that they taken away from covid so covid as much as it stopped things from happening it gave you a real chance to reflect uh a lot of the a lot of the ways that i think about p and the things that shape p now come from that period of time because like you said we got time to reflect you know on our practice and we got time to do a bit of reading and you you, you came away with some pretty good ideas uh, so this conference was that, you know, they, they you had these periods of time where, um, you know, co-educational sport was the only sport you could do because you were, you know, in an independent school that you couldn't visit each other. So house matches became more important and there was more to just a house match than it just be, you know, the boys, you know, rugby team, it became mixed um, touch and, you know, the students loved it and they thought it was awesome. And then, COVID lifted and everybody went back to the way it was and the students were said, well, hang on, I really liked it like that. You know, how do we find that happy medium between the two? So I think it's great. I think it's been a fantastic addition. And then having Emily, um, you know, go out and play cricket and then the two girls play cricket, uh, hockey uh, for the second 11, you know, a couple of weeks ago, I think that's fantastic. You know, if I'm looking for something for my daughter to look up to, having, you know, seeing that and watching that is is as is, is important as it gets, so... One of the really big things that, that I took away from the conference was one of the, the guest speakers. I uh, was talking about how at elite sport, uh, there's much greater closeness between the, the men's and the women's teams uh, because the men feel as if they get a lot out of the experience and the women get that little bit of um, that little, those conversations they wouldn't necessarily have with the, with the, the other women's players about different tactics and strategies because the game just isn't quite, that hasn't quite got to that speed or, you know, the size of the, um, the players are evolving so quickly and, you know, cause we've got access to gyms and training and that sort of stuff. So you said that that closeness is happening at elite sport. They would really like to see that happen all the way through. So you don't end up with just the boys and the girls, um, world it's sport and everybody enjoys that sport there's different times in which you come together and there's times in which you are separated for various reasons um, but if you let the the fa and and all the different governing bodies you know tell you when the separation is that makes it much easier um because it just guides you through so you know you can get to 17 and be uh, playing second team hockey over here and being boy or girl doesn't make any difference you know if you you're good enough you play and that's what you want it to be just all down to effort and you know how much time you put into it and you get a chance you get a chance so. yeah it sounds like it's a huge opportunity for the school and for you know for, yeah for, for lots of new uh lots of new students yeah it's so, great i know it's really good to see i mean what does the rest of the school year look like then obviously we're kind of coming up towards uh, well we're in half term this week um what's what's sort of on the horizon for college sport the we run through the 
it's almost like a bit of a transition. So everybody's starting to travel again now. So you, you had that those first little tasters last year, and now you're looking at a proper, you know, a proper re, you know, reinvigoration of that traveling program. Um, we hopefully will have um, some schools over for hockey, and we know we've got a couple of schools coming over hockey soon. Uh, the in the schools football league still got to, the Channel Lions league still got a couple more rounds to go. Um, the local schools football league have got their cup finals and things like that coming up. Uh, the netball's got all their fixtures and finals coming up and then you end up into you know there's a bit of hockey um into schools and then you you know our big thing is the touring programs that have been the backbone of our program for a while um and they'll all start to fall into place uh we've invited sent out an email probably I don't think John, our catering manager, is going to be happy, but we sent out an email to all the HMC schools uh, seeing if anyone was coming over for cricket for next season. And I think it's 21 schools have all indicated that they would like to come over, uh, which is great. You know, it's nice to see where we were as last year. We got Bishop Stortford over um, for the whole of the month of June. They just kept bringing teams over because they're all teams that had lost their, they didn't get their money back for their tours. They just got credits so they had to use up all their credits so last year was the first year where we we got some people over um which was great and then we had some tours ourselves so hopefully we can see those tours kick on and then you know there's national schools badminton and there's some tennis that we'd like to get involved in as well and um we've spoken to victoria about trying to expand it out now to offer some basketball fixtures um because they've got some keen students in basketball and basketball's you know unbelievably popular at the moment so um you know it's those sorts of things we'd like to see evolve as we go yeah that bishop stortford experience um uh, obviously i suppose a bit of a quirk of history that it sort of felt like that but is that a blueprint that you can kind of use going forward because it sounded like you know guernsey obviously has a lot to offer both sporting wise but also for you know for, for school kids from from elsewhere in the country coming over and spending some time here if like if we were to if we were to write a tour to go on it, coming here would be you know you're trying to recreate what makes your tours effective so uh, we would do a biannual tour to, to Dubai for cricket um, which was great uh, and the reason it was so great is because there was always something to do you, you play your games of cricket but then we you know we went around the mosques and we would go down the beach and we'd go to the water park and then you could just go to a mall and they would love it and they would just walk around the shopping centers and you know they're happy um, but you had something to do all the time and that's how we try and create the tours for when they come over uh, so just the year before COVID we had eight schools um come over uh we were really fortunate we had uh we just they just kept coming it started in april and it finished up in june with three schools over for the for with melbourne grammar so it was it was absolutely it was a brilliant summer and then covid came and then all those schools fell away so it's almost like that's just starting to ramp back up again uh but again building it off the bishop stortford and, and structuring it so you know the only the, the the hardest thing for those tours is just the tides you know we've got a we've got to book the fixtures around the tide so they can go surfing and then they can go out to the coast steering. Um, so I think it was 80, I don't even know. I think it was 80, 51 students that they brought over 80 something nights. Uh, everyone surfed, everyone, you know, was involved in coast steering. Everyone went over to Herm. Um, it was a, it was a full on week for though, for them. Uh, but it's great, you know, and that's what we would like to do, uh, all the way through summer. Uh, and then when we get to touring time, you know, we wait till they're a little bit older and then we can do the big tours. But there are things that you can do. Independent schools have loads of competitions that you can buy into. Um, the national schools um, programs for cricket and hockey are great. So there are ways that you can keep the tours going. Uh, and then there's obviously trips to Jersey with Victoria and Dillacell and, and those guys now. So it's all it's all sort of coming together. But yeah, if we can if we can recreate those Bishop Stortford weeks. 
that would be ideal. Well, thanks so much for coming in and telling us all about college sport and, thank you. and your story. It's been, uh, it's been fascinating. And um, yeah, best of luck with the rest of the, uh, the academic year. No, thank you. Thank you very much. Tom Eisenhuth um, from Elizabeth College speaking to me there. Um, yeah, really fascinating chap and uh, uh, he's got a fantastic attitude to sport and um, and a very positive attitude. So um, yeah, long may that continue at Elizabeth College. Um, right, let's have a look at what's coming up this weekend. Gareth, another big afternoon for Raiders coming up at Footslay, of course, off the back of that tremendous win against Worthing a couple of weekends um, ago. Now, I mentioned at the top, that has been something of a sort of cavalcade of international rugby stars um, visiting the island over the last couple of weeks. Um, Jean de Villiers, the former South Africa captain, um, was here in the week. I think Richie McCaw is coming over in a different capacity next week. And um, down at rugby training, the Australian players, I gather, were pretty excited to uh, to see an appearance from uh, from a, a legend of the 90s. Uh, very much so, Tony. Um, yeah, uh, the absolute rugby superstar, sort of like the 80s into the 90s. David Campese was over um, for the with the Wooden Spoon Society and doing some functions for them. Um, but while he was over, he very kindly offered his services to do a couple of coaching sessions. And um, yeah, he, he was uh, what you'd expect from a, a, a typical Aussie. He's very, um, very open, very honest, and really good to talk to. But uh, I know for a fact, sort of having spoken to Jordan Reynolds and having seen a couple of the other Aussies from the uh, the Raiders camp that um, they idolised David Campese. You know, Jordan said he's a hero to anyone of their sort of generation coming up. He was he was the rugby superstar. He was sort of like. He passed that mantle on to Jonah Lomu back in the mid-90s, but um, he was the first guy ever to uh, win 100 caps for Australia. He was a player of the tournament when they won the World Cup in 91. And yeah, he um, he was uh, just passing on his, his knowledge to locals. And uh, yeah, it, was, it was great to see that happen. And um, he, he just talked a, a very sort of simple game. Um, he made it sound simple, like most sort of geniuses do when they're in their sport. Um, but it, it was great for, for Guernsey Rugby to have someone of that ilk over and just passing on some some advice. Well, yeah, you were down there and you managed to grab a quick word with them. Yeah, look, all I did, I just uh, offered obviously to do a couple of sessions um, with the kids and the girls and the, the boys and then obviously the, the girls, the women tonight. Uh, look, just some simple basic skills. You know, it's, it's very, rugby is such an easy game, but to me it's, it's about the basics. And if you can't do the basics, the game's very hard. <laughs> I was going to say, so in one session when you get with the kids like that, is that the message you'd give them, just stick to the basics? Yeah, I think also, you know, I said to the coaches, these these, these sort of things are easy to do. It's not hard, mm. you know. Um, but unfortunately, the game of rugby's changed a lot since I played. And the other thing is the skill set's changed as well. Yeah. Um, and it's really just getting some, some really just catch pass, you know, respect the ball, respect your teammates and just have a bit of fun. Mm. And it's, it's, it's good to see the girls involved as well. No, definitely it was good. You know, the girls normally are the best because they normally miss, listen. Yeah. You know, the boys know it all. <laughs> Typical. Nothing's changed in life. But, uh, yeah, no, it's good. It's always good. And it was, it's also good, you know, with the the Women's Rugby World Cup on the moment in New Zealand, you know. I mean, watching those games, it's, it's actually nice to watch where it's not bogged down by the referees like in the male game. <laughs> yeah. It's actually uh, free-flowing. So, yeah, it's, it's just good to see them involved as well. Yeah. I was going to ask, actually, with, sort of the, like you say, the women's World mm. Cup going on and the men's less than a year away now, how sort of important is it for rugby to sort of like um, use that as a tool to attract more people to the game? Oh, look, I just think it's, it, it's, it's, got to be, it's got to be fun and it's got to be somebody, if you watch somebody play and you want to be like them and you want to get involved, that's great. You yeah. know, a lot of people don't watch the game. And, you know, you've got football, which is a massive sport over here as well. Yeah. Um, you know, you've got the Rugby League World Cup, but I, 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 don't know, I haven't watched one game. I don't know where you watch it, you know. But rugby is a, is a very 
unique game. You know, we've got World Cups, we've got Commonwealth Games, Olympic Games with sevens. Sevens is a great game to get involved in because it's really seven players versus seven. So, you know, there's there's a lot of opportunities, but again, depends on, you know, what if there's netball, if there's hockey, there's a lot of other sports. You know, women, girls play as well. So, there's a, there's a lot of variety. That's you know, if you want to play, you, you just come along and really if you if you enjoy it, bring your friends and have a lot of fun. You look like you still get a lot of enjoyment out of the game. Yeah, look, it's it's part of the game. You know, I love the game. The game's very simple. Um, and as I the drills I did are very simple and not hard because you can't do the hard stuff if you can't do the simple stuff. Yeah, sure. And just while you're here, can I ask you sort of about the next World Cup mm. and sort of like um, who would you sort of see as um, perhaps favourites or who do you reckon will be in contention for that? Well, I think you got to you got to give France an opportunity at home. I mean, even though they played not well against the Wallabies last week, but. They they can play some good rugby and at home they've been in three World Cups and they've lost so I'm sure the fourth time might be lucky. Um, you know I think South Africa are still a danger. Um, New Zealand I'm not sure they are a very very different team the team against I used to play against. You know they were very ruthless and they don't seem to be that way inclined even though Wales were pretty ordinary last week. Uh, Ireland's looking good um, and yeah look you know Argentina did well by beating England as well so. There's more contenders now than there probably ever was. Yeah. But again, it's just really that, have you got that, you know, that bench that's going to come on and change the game? You know, yeah. That's where it seems to be the big difference these days is the players that come off the bench. So if you've got a good squad of 30, I mean, you've got a really good chance. David Campesi speaking to you there. Yeah, I wasn't down there, but I saw some of the photos um, from the evening. And, uh, you know, without being unkind, you know, he's obviously you know, a man of advancing years. Um, but it was great to see him kind of, he was down there doing press-ups and he was clearly like running through the, you know, the, the plays with some of the young players and um, obviously getting stuck in. Yeah, he's still very active. I, I believe he's actually turned 60 now. I think I think he's just turned 60 this year. Um, but yeah, he, he, he's still, he, his love of the game is still very obvious and, uh, he, uh, he he tries to make it simple for everyone. Like he, like he said to me, um, if you can't do the simple stuff, well, how, how are you going to be able to do the hard stuff? You know, it's uh, it's sort of like quite straightforward sort of catch and pass routines, but make sure you do it properly, sort of thing. But he also emphasised that um, rugby's got to be fun. If, if you don't have fun playing rugby, there's no point in playing it. And but you can tell how much fun he still has playing and talking about the game great stuff um as for raiders then a uh, bit of a different proposition with seven oaks on saturday a bit further down the league yeah seven oaks are currently 12th raiders actually even though they'd lost away to dorking last week and dorking was second um the the bonus point raiders got for finishing within four points of them took them up a place uh, to ninth um so yeah this is um at the start of the season jordan reynolds emphasized that they're going to take each five game block at a time this is the last of the fifth uh, this is the fifth of those games in this block of fixtures um they've set a target of uh, picking up 16 points in that block they've currently got 11 so basically they're out for a bonus point win that's what that's what they want to achieve um seven uh, seven oaks are currently um i think just one point behind us they've they've had um three wins as well i believe um but they've also had some very narrow defeats so there will be a tough uh, proposition the good thing is the weather's looking set fair for the weekend, so Guernsey will look to use their, their pace and um, flare out wide. And, um, yeah, hopefully they'll be able to pick up another win. Hopefully that crowd will be rocking again um, in the grandstand. Uh, Jamie, where are you going to be this weekend? Um, I'll be down the basketball court on Friday night. Uh, yeah, we've had some really close games between in both the men's and the women's divisions over the last couple of weeks. <laughs> I think it's exemplified by a week apart. We've had two matches involving three different different teams in the men's division and each of them been down to a single points so 
But yeah, equally, there's a really compelling three horse title race in the women's division. And tomorrow night's clash, which will be Ravenscroft, who have won, they've won the division five, six, six years in the trot prior to last year, where Praxis Pumas beat them. Um, so it's going to be a clash between those two sides. And I think, yeah, the result will have quite a big bearing on the title race. So a good battle potentially there, Jamie, to enjoy. Um, a bit further afield over in Jersey, got the tennis interinsula um, this year. Guernsey won the trophy for the first time in many years um, last year on home soil, going away to defend that with um, a few debutants uh, involved. If you want to read a bit more about that, head to our website, guernseypress.com slash sport. Um, I think otherwise, though, that's just about it from us. Um, do give us a follow on social media at GSY Press Sport, um, the place to go on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. And of course, pick up a paper six days a week um, for the very best local sports coverage. Um, cheers, guys. We'll see you next week. Cheers, Tony. Cheers, Tony.